the words that you use can be, really be powerful. And you use the right words, it can, it can change your world, it can change your life. And I want to pick up on that idea. And I think most of us know our words are powerful. And I think sometimes people don't know why our words carry so much power and weight and influence. But the Bible says that, that in the beginning, God created everything just by speaking. There wasn't stuff there that he kind of, you know, like a potter in clay. He spoke everything into existence. And we're made in his image. And he gives us this power with our words to have profound impact on everything with our words. Now, we don't have the power to do what he did to, to create out of nothing. But we have the power to shape the world and impact the world and, and for good or for evil, you know, for benefit or for harm. So what I want to do today is I want to look at some counsel in Scripture. It's just two verses. And it's a real simple thought. And I want to unpack it because I think in it, it has an invitation to us. And I, I titled this talk, uh, You Have Something to Say. And the, the point, as you're going to see, is you have something gracious to say, if you want to say it. You have something gracious to say, if you want to say it. So in Ephesians chapter 4, I'll read the passage to you. And if you want to follow with me, there's paperback Bibles uh, under the chair seat in front of you. It's page 813. It says, Paul writes this in this letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, Let's unpack this. There's, there's, it's, it's got a, a lot of rich stuff in, in this, these, this short two verses. And basically, if you read through this passage, it, it, it continues in this pattern where Paul says, uh, don't be bitter. A few verses before that. Don't be bitter. And don't uh, let the sun go down in your anger and don't give the devil a foothold. Then he says, let him who steals, stop stealing. And instead, work with his hands so that he may have something to give to others. And so he comes to this passage and he says, don't let corrupt, unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but instead say things that build other people up. And in the last phrase, he says, in other words, say things that give people grace. When it says, the word here, the translation says, where it's translated that it may benefit those who hear, that's the Greek word grace, charis. And it means this, this God-breathed power to, to benefit us and to benefit people in every, uh, every dimension of life. So let's, let's break this down. So first thing he says is don't speak words that damage others. Now, what he literally says in the Greek is zip it. Don't let it come out of your mouth, which is pretty hard to do, isn't it, right? We're always saying things that we wish you could just grab that word and bring it back, but, you know, sound goes faster than our reflexes, and whoosh, those words go out. And he uses this word here, Paul uses the word unwholesome, and it's the word, the Greek word, that means that it's, it was used for rotten fruit, 
So if you can imagine rotten fruit, and when it says come out of your mouth, the, the, the Greek word means come from the, the, the depth of your being, and, and the, the, it was often used for your digestive tract. In other words, from deep inside you, where you really reside, don't let this unwholesome stuff come out of your mouth. It's a picture. It's, it's, it's a real vivid word picture. And, you know, we all know our natural speech patterns tend to be more like that than they tend to be gracious, right? And we don't always say the worst thing we could say, but we often say worse things than we should say more often than we should. Things like, things, these are words and speech that damages. So our speech that's, da- that, that's, that's unwholesome, this corrupt speech tends to have two characteristics. It's damaging and it's self-serving. It's damaging and it's self-serving. Here's some kind of language that we all know is damaging. Dishonesty. Gossip. Complaining, criticism, blame shifting, disrespect, and I could go on and on and on, right? We, we've, all, uh, we've all been on the giving and the receiving end of these kinds of words that are damaging, and we know how much they, they injure and they undo things. And they're also self-serving because Paul said, Damaging words will be self-serving because we're not stopping to think about what the other person needs and then say something that helps them in their need. We're just saying whatever we want to say, irregardless of whether it benefits them or not. Do you see that? In, in Proverbs, oh my gosh, the book of Proverbs just has thousands, or thousands, has thousands of verses, has dozens and dozens of verses about the damage that we can do with our speech. And here's one that, that really is a, is a rephrasing of this passage. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And in the Bible, there, there's this idea that goes right along with this, that sin is what happens... Sin is the opposite of creation. Like if you read the book of Genesis, you see the first few chapters, God is building things, he's creating, he's, he's bringing good things together. And as soon as sin enters the world, uncreation starts. It starts just degenerating and falling apart. And that's what Paul says here, is when we choose unwholesome words with our speech, we We are guilty of uncreation. And we've experienced it. When people have have used those words against us, you know what it does inside your heart. The damage it does. And and we aren't always as aware of the damage our words do to other people, but you are typically aware of what they do to you. And the old saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never harm me. That's not true at all. I mean, that's, that's a fantasy. Because words, uh, words, if they can't benefit us, they can't harm us. But if they benefit us, they can harm us too. Because they, that means they have power. And that's what we're warned, through, warned about all the way through the Bible. So he says, don't speak words that damage others. 
Instead, speak words that build others up. Now, he says that we can speak words if we will take into account what someone's need is, that we actually have the power to speak into their life and to build them up. And that word built up is like, uh, again, it's like creation. It's like a building. It came, that came from building trades, the word Paul's using. And he used it in other parts of the book here, of the letter of, uh, to the Ephesians. And he talks about how, it talks about how God's building a community of people together and the Holy Spirit is in the midst of them. And he's joining them and knitting them together. And so what he's saying is, in this long list in chapter 4 of things to avoid, he's saying when you lie to one another, you cause uncreation in the community. The community begins to fall apart. And what God's doing is he's trying to bring life and and reconcile people and join people together and, and create mutual respect and love and concern. And it all starts because Jesus was concerned about us. And then as we begin to be his followers and his spirit begins to live in us, we start demonstrating that concern for one another. But the, the, our words have power to either build up what God's doing or tear down what God's doing. That's why he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed. And we'll get to that in just a second. But these words can, that we can speak will actually be empowered by God. They will have grace on them to strengthen people and build them up when they're faltering, when they're hurting, when they're down, when they're struggling in some specific way. We have power to speak to people. For example, gratitude. Gratitude is a powerful type of speech that just can can lift a person up out of a very difficult place. I told a couple of guys this morning, I was at the gym last week, and uh, I was getting ready to leave, and one of the custodians was in there, and, and he was changing the, uh, uh, the paper dispenser because they was washing their hands, and they're all like, you know, slinging the water all over everything. And, and it, it's the Dublin Rec Center. It's, a, it's pretty, really a clean place. And I've been in a lot of gyms in my life, and, you know, there's gyms in there where, you, you know, you, you want to wear shoes, in the gym, I mean, inside the dressing room floor. It's not a very clean place. This one is like you could eat off the floor. And so the custodian's in there, and I, and I, I was coming out, and I thought, hey, I just want to thank you for how clean you keep this place, because he's one of the guys I always see in there working. And he's, you know, and I kind of went over to the side, and he's, you know, putting the stuff back in the paper in the machine. I'm standing beside him because he's facing the wall. And I said, thank you for keeping this place so clean. You know, just, just a little simple thing. And, and, he, and he's going... He kind of looks at me when I'm talking, and he goes, he stops, and he goes, wow, I never, ever hear that from anybody. He said, thank you so much. You don't know what that means to me. And I said, well, you know, you're doing a great job. You know, it really makes our experience a lot better, so thank you for your hard work. So, I, you know, I walk out, and I'm walking out the door, and this other young guy walks right around the corner. He was, he was just getting dressed, and he walks in, and he says, hey, I wanted to thank you, too. You know, just this little thing started. And this guy, his face, he was just working, you know, and his face just lit up. It's a little thing. Is it a big deal to say thanks to people? I mean, really meaningfully? Not just sort of in in a transactional way, but in a relational way where you stop and you say it to them. But it really, sometimes it does take some grace 
to say that, doesn't it? Uh, apologies. Two of the hardest words in the world, or three, two, two if it's a contraction. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Wow, those are big, big words. And they shouldn't have to be squeezed out of us, you know, like a toothpaste tube, forcing us to say, we're supposed to, when we're wrong, we're supposed to say, I'm so, I apologize to my wife about something last night. I was staying in the bathroom. I was, I don't want to say this. I don't want to say I'm sorry. I don't want to say I was wrong. I don't want to say I didn't tell the truth. It was like, gosh, she didn't even know what, you know, what I needed to apologize about. It's just hard to do that, isn't it? But boy, it makes a difference when you say it. Now, here's another kind of speech that we should become more conversant with. Maybe you're standing with a group of people, and they start dogging somebody. They start talking about somebody. They start gossiping about somebody. Everybody's been in that situation. Now, this is a trickier one to speak gracious words into, but we've got to have other people's backs, whether they have our back or not. And someone may deserve some criticism, but when they're getting gossiped about and slandered and, and, and disrespected with people, we need to stand up for them, and we can do it in a respectful way to the people who are there, so we're not like, I'm better than you sort of attitude, but we can find ways of just saying to people something like, you know, I know that person has some faults and flaws, and, and, uh, but you know, I, I'm just really not comfortable with like, us talking about them like this. And I just encourage you if, you, if, if, if they bother you that much, you should really talk to them. Because you know, it does seem like you're really troubled by something they've done. And, and there's nothing wrong with you talking to a person. But I think us talking like this, it, doesn't make, it, it isn't making any of us better people. You can say things like that, or you can find your own way of putting it. We've got to be people who speak those kinds of gracious words because it's loving to confront people too and, and speak the truth in love. And that's the kind of thing that, that grows you as a person also, if you don't know that. Uh, now, you may say, well, that's all well and good, John, but you know, I don't find speech that builds others up just flowing naturally out of my heart. I find, in fact, it's more natural for me to be critical, or it's more natural for me to complain, or it's more natural for me to do whatever. And that, but that's all of us. Before Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're all there. I'm with you. I could say that's me too. But we have hope in Christ of, of our characters, the deepest part of our being, changing from the inside out. Not just learning to conceal your inner contempt and not verbalize it, but to actually, there's power in the gospel to actually change the contempt that you might have for different people or people in general. He has power to change that inside you so that instead of contempt, you begin to more naturally utter and demonstrate respect and kindness and different things. And Ironically, the, the person, I want you to look at the passage with me in, in James. The person, before I tell you how to, how to work this out, in James 3, here's what James says. Um, 
We all, in James 3, 2, he says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect person, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And what he's saying there is this. The primary beneficiary of you learning to harness your speech is you. If you learn to speak respectfully and lovingly and truthfully and all those other ways that that characterize gracious speech, what James is saying there is, is something starts happening in your heart. Your whole life begins to be easier to manage because our speech is the most, like that passage goes on to say, our speech is the most challenging facet of our character to harness. And once you harness that, other areas of your life are like, sometimes like child's play. That there's so much that comes into play when you're trying to harness how you speak to other people. When you address it, you're dealing with such deep issues in your life on a regular basis that other things begin to line up and a Christ-like transformation begins to happen in other areas of your life. So there's a lot of... Um, a lot of benefit to this. So the key, though, is in verse 30. I want to read it to you again. Let me get back here. Paul says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, the Holy Spirit is God's personal empowering presence who indwells us when we're followers of Jesus. And in fact, in Ephesians 1, Paul says this. He says, you, he's writing to all the people in this church, you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, so once you believe, here's what Paul says happens. You were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And then he was using a, a term from the marketplace. So when someone bought some property, they would take wax and they would melt it on a part of it and they would put their own seal on it. And what that meant was, this is my possession. I own it. And when you believe in Jesus, God marks you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you. And God's saying to you, you're my possession now. I own you. We're family. I mean, it isn't just like you're an object. It, it means that God has committed himself to you. He's purchased you through the blood of Jesus. And it's just one of many ways that we could look at the relationship we have with God. But he says that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us. And the Holy Spirit, who in, in, in this letter that Paul's writing, is doing all these amazing things because he takes what Jesus did for us on the cross, the power that Jesus had on the cross, the victory he won there, all the things that he did, the Holy Spirit takes those and applies them in our lives. So we go from death to life. From death to life in all these areas of our lives. And so, Paul's saying, 
that the Spirit, who is God in the flesh, God in your flesh, Christ was God in the flesh, now God is in your flesh and blood, in your person, in your body, living inside you, He comes and brings grace through your words. But there's, there's three things. Before you can speak gracious words, you have to do three things. And it's, it's, this is all in the earlier part of the book. But he says, you need to surrender to God in Christ. You surrender your whole person to God in Christ first. That's how this gracious life starts coming out of you. Because you get connected to God. You begin to be joined to Him. You and Him are tight. Then secondly, and well, now I read that passage to you. Secondly, you begin to seek God's wisdom. And in, here's a passage in Proverbs 2, 1-6. to The writer says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding, Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, do you see what he's saying there? That, that it, you can't, these gracious words and insights and things you need are not just going to fall on you. You have an active role in this process. If you seek God for wisdom after you've surrendered your life to Him, here's what he says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. And this, the first uh, eight or nine chapters of, of the book of Proverbs are just this exploration of the theme of wisdom that God offers us if we'll pursue it and seek it and welcome it and accept it. And open our hearts up to it. But it, it talks about the challenges that we go through as we, as we seek to navigate that process. Because it will challenge us uh, all over the place. God's wisdom does. But if you surrender to Christ, and you surrender your voice to Him, your words to Him, your heart to Him, and you begin to seek His wisdom, His wisdom will begin to come into your life and it will become a part of your life. The third thing is, is you begin to soak in God's presence. You surrender, you seek, and then you soak. And just like we, we took just a couple of moments here at the end of worship, we just, it was quiet, and we soaked, and the Holy Spirit was touching people, but you could experience God's presence. God's available like that all day long, 24-7. And we can call on His name and then wait in His presence and experience His presence just saturating us. And there's a lot of places in Scripture where we can see this demonstrated, but early in the book of Acts, the church was beginning to grow and it was getting some opposition, some pushback from the religious leaders. And there was a point where this amazing miracle happened and Peter and John got arrested because they had prayed for this guy who was... uh, sick and he was healed and all these people had come to believe in Jesus and so the religious leaders arrest them and they bring him in and they challenge them and Peter stands up and says Peter having just been filled with the Holy Spirit gives a defense of why they're doing what they're doing and at the end of it it says when the 
Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. When we soak in God's presence, we are doing what they did. They had the opportunity to walk with Jesus as he lived and and carried out his earthly ministry. We can still connect with Jesus in the same way. And all the graciousness and the the gracious life-giving words that came out of his mouth can begin to come out of our mouths too. But we have to soak in his presence. It doesn't happen accidentally. There has to be an intention in this. And then then we begin, we begin to speak God's word. And Jesus said this to his disciples when they were after, after they were uh, on their way in the mission. He was telling them early on. He said, listen, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you'll say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So he's saying, if you continue this lifestyle that you've had with me, of, of, of being with me, soaking in my presence, you're going to get put in these tight spots. And that's what we're talking about here. Workplace, home, neighborhoods, you name it, the marketplace. We get put in these tight spots where we, we can get stressed out and we can speak those rotten, damaging words, or we could speak out words that are gracious, that benefit everyone who listens to us. But that won't happen. Those words don't come unless we surrender and we seek and we soak as a, as a way of life daily, not just hit and miss. Now, you have something gracious to say. Every one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will be surprised how much from the very beginning of your Christian life You can do what Jesus did. We are meant to be like him. We're meant to do all the things that he did. We're meant to raise the dead. We're meant to heal the sick. We're meant to teach. We're meant to love. We're meant to share. We're meant to to care about the people that nobody else cares about. We're meant to reconcile and heal and, and do justice and all those things that Jesus did. That's our legacy. That's our calling. That's, that's the invitation of this passage. He isn't just saying, don't be bad, be good. He's saying, you can change things with your words. You have something gracious to say, so say it. Now, here's where we're going we're to close and the Lord's table comes in. You know, as we come to the Lord today, uh, you know, communion is not a ritual. It's not a ritual that you know, we score some points with God through participating in that. I know sometimes that's what people think. Or that there's magic. There's magic that happens here. What communion is, God designed it as a covenant meal. Because in the, in, the in the early church and all throughout ancient near Mideast times, they had a custom where if you ate meals with people, you are either trying to start a relationship with them or take the relationship you had and deepen it. That meals weren't just meals. They weren't just McDonald's. They were significant events and they symbolized something. 
Jesus came along and he took it to another level. And he said, bread and wine, which back in, in the first century, bread and wine were staples. Okay? They didn't have refrigeration, so they didn't have hamburger patties and chicken breasts and all the conveniences we have. So bread was a staple. It was what kept people alive. And wine was a staple. It was a part of every meal. Water or wine. And, and wine was safer than water because water wasn't always potable. You know, it wasn't clean and purified. And so wine was a very common part of people's meals. But Jesus said, this symbolizes a new covenant that God is making with you through me. And the bread symbolizes my sacrifice on the cross and my, my broken body. And the wine symbolizes my blood that I'm going to shed. That, and that I'm doing it in your place. You deserved, we deserve God's judgment because of the, the destructive power of our words, the damage we've caused with our words. I don't know too many people right now who aren't pulling away from Facebook because they're so frustrated at the craziness that's been going on for months, but it seems like it's, it's going to a new level since the election. The words that are, that are being written that are damaging people, and they're damaging the body of Christ. It's terrible. Jesus died to break the power of that and to rescue us from a, an ongoing life pattern of doing that. And his death is the only thing that can do that. He's the only one that can do it. He lived the only perfect life. The only one that can stand before God and say, God, I'm going to take the punishment that they deserve. And I'm going to break the power of sin and, and death and sickness and evil. Let it all fall on me so it doesn't have to fall on them anymore. That's what he did for us. And so in particular today, we have to recognize I referenced it earlier. Every one of us in this room, with respect to damaging words that are spoken, we've been on the receiving end and we've been on the giving end. And so the table of the Lord is a place where we meet the Lord and He begins to heal the damage of what words have done. We begin to let Him into those places and those memories and those deeds where we say, Lord, I don't like to think about how I treated that person. How I treated that person and this person. We just want to move on. But when we sin, it does something to us. It affects us. It dehumanizes us. It makes us less than. When we talked about creation as building up, and Paul said, words that are rotten uncreate. They reverse creation. We've experienced that and we've dealt it. So when we come to the Lord at the end of hearing you know, a message like this, he's inviting us. What he's saying is, listen, I died for you. I died to break the power of this pattern that you have of gossiping and lying and manipulating or whatever else you do with, with your speech. He says, I have power to break that. You may think that sounds like a fantasy, but it isn't. Take me up on it. 
Taste my grace and I will begin to change that part of your life. I will put a new heart in you. Maybe sometimes some of us feel justified about saying certain things about certain people because of what they've said about us. Jesus will come in and give you a heart for them that's different than the heart that they help shape that you carry around. And he will begin to heal the words, if we let him, that have been spoken to us. And on top of that, he will speak words of love and truth and affirmation and commitment that our hearts long for. That's what the table tells us. The covenant that Jesus made, the new covenant, comes with all these things. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings those into our lives by faith. Jesus descended and he ascended and he's at the Father's right hand and he sent the Holy Spirit to take everything that he did and make it real to us. So, here you are today. I'm sure in the course of what I've said, these comments, that you've thought of when you've dealt some of that damaging, destructive, rotten speech. And I'm sure that some of you remember when it's been dealt to you. So what I want to ask you to do as we take communion this, this, to close this morning is I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to do it in silence. In silence, no talking. For two reasons. One, if you read the trial of Jesus, it says except for a couple of words, he didn't say a single word. He didn't defend himself, even though he could have defended himself. He was being unjustly accused and unjustly tried, and he didn't defend himself. And you know why he didn't? Because he was standing in our place, and what we've all done is indefensible. All the sins that we've committed are indefensible. So Jesus stood in our place, and he didn't defend himself. And he did it for us. For each of us. And when we receive him, we receive the forgiveness of all that crap that we've done. And all that we're going to do. But we need to, we need to, to take it in the same 